morning that we can be content with who we are because God says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so therefore, we can listen to what God says about us rather than what the world says about us. And we've also seen that we can be content and satisfied in our circumstances because with effort and with a bit of practice and with most importantly God's strength we can learn that contentment. So that leaves me with a question and possibly you also with a really big question. If we have to learn to be content and God is so capable that he made us and formed us and knew what we were going to be like before we were even born. Why do we have these horrid situations where we aren't content? Why do we live in a place where we have problems and difficulties and things that make us dissatisfied and discontent? Because, of course, God could do anything. But we know that God did not even spare his own son from hardship, from persecutions, from trials, and from temptations. So therefore, why do we think that we should be spared them? So how can we be content with what God has planned for our lives? And that's the next thing that we're going to think about. I read a story recently of a man that joined a monastery. He was called Brother John, and he entered a monastery where you were only allowed to speak if the abbot spoke to you. Other than that, you had to remain absolutely silent. So after five years, the abbot spoke to him and said, Brother John, you've lived here for five years. You may now speak two words to me. So Brother John said, hard bed. I'm sorry to hear that, said the abbot. I will try and make sure that you are given a new bed. Time went on. After another five years, the abbot came to Brother John and he said, you may say another two words, Brother John. So Brother John thought, cold food, he said. I'm sorry to hear that, said the abbot. I will make sure that the food is hotter. Well, on the 15th anniversary of his time in the monastery, the abbot called Brother John to see him. And he said, you may speak another two words, Brother John. Brother John didn't have long to think. He said, I quit. That is probably best, said the abbot, as you have done nothing but complain since you arrived here. Well, I love that story. I think it's brilliant. But how often, we might laugh at it, but yet how often do our thoughts and in our speech do we grumble? Do we complain about our situations about the place where God has put us and the life which God has given us. After all, we need to remember from Psalm 139 that God has planned all our days. So we shouldn't really be complaining 
and grumbling about them. The writer to the Hebrews says, be content with what you have. So actually, it's a command. It is a command. We are told we should be content with what we have, with what God has planned for our lives. It's not just a good thing to be. It's a necessary part of our Christian life to be a contented Christian. Jesus told his followers that they would have to take up their cross and follow him. To pick up a cross, as I'm sure you know, was a sign that you were on your way to be crucified. You were going to be executed as a criminal. If we are to pick up our cross, it's a sign that we will face difficulties in our lives. Maybe even ones that will lead to immense hardship. Maybe even to our deaths. Because Jesus never promised his followers that they would have an easy life. In fact, Jesus said just the opposite. Jesus said that the world would hate us just as it hated him. He said that if the world persecuted him, then it would persecute his followers. Jesus said that in the world we would have trouble, but to take heart because he has overcome the world. Have you ever heard the saying, when the tough, when the going gets tough, the tough get going? And there was even a song about it, but I really can't remember who sang it. But I know there was one. Okay, so when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Well, look, here is my version of that. And I want to apologise to Judy and to Sue, who's not here, and Rabina, and anybody else that got the strange messages this morning about the lack of potatoes. Okay? So my version of this is, you see, when things get really tough, when things get really difficult... When the heat is on, when the temperature's turned up, we have an option of being an egg or a potato. Okay? Because as the heat gets turned up, when life gets hard, the egg gets really solid. A boiled egg, hard boiled egg, gets really hard. And you can do nothing with it. It is resistant, often even to your knife and fork, You know, it'll bounce off your plate. There is not a lot you can do with it. Whereas a potato, when it gets hot, when life gets difficult, becomes softer. You can mould it. You can shape it. Have you ever done potato sculptures with your children? Great fun. Very easy. Um, But you can change it. In the same way, in our difficult circumstances, when life gets difficult... Will we be a boiled egg and grumble about what God has given us, resent what he's given us, complain about it, possibly even reject God because of the circumstances he's given us? Or will we be like the potato? Will we be accepting? Will we be grateful for the life he's given us? Will we be willing to be used and shaped and moulded by him in the situation that he's put us. So it's clear that as followers of Jesus, we can expect some hard times. 
And if we do expect them, then we won't be so surprised when they come. It's always very sad, I think, when somebody who's a committed Christian suddenly falls to pieces when something awful happens. Because actually, that is what we should expect. We're not expecting this perfect world here on earth. We live in a fallen world with fallen people, sinful people. Nothing here is going to be perfect. But we have that great hope of perfection in eternity with our Father God. So if we expect times of difficulty, we won't be so surprised and we will be more able to cope, more able to deal with them. We will be able to face them head on to take strength from our Lord Jesus Christ and learn to be content in them. If, however, we're only in for an easy life being a Christian, if we don't ever expect a problem, if a difficulty comes and completely throws us, if we're not prepared, then we will not cope. We will rebel and we will often turn away from God. And perhaps some of you have got friends or relatives that you've seen do that. And it is an absolute tragedy when they turn away from their Lord and Saviour just because they can't cope with a difficulty. So here's a challenge. Will you be an egg for God or a potato? When the, t- t- when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Which will you be? Well, last week in the cathedral services, we learnt about Abraham and we learnt about God's plan for Abraham. We were reminded of the huge plans that God had for Abraham. God planned to bless Abraham with a great big enormous family, with a special land to live in, and through him to bring blessing to the whole world. And Abraham believed God's promises and so was considered righteous considered right before God. He was justified in God's eyes because he believed God's promises. He knew he was secure and could trust God for everything that God had promised because he knew that God always keeps his promises. And as Christians, we too are justified and made right before God because of what Jesus has done, because of his death and his resurrection on the cross. And Paul writes about what our godly life should then look like. If we are righteous and justified before God, that has consequences for us. And so I'm going to invite you to look at the next passage in your booklets. It's from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. And again, it's the last section of questions on your table. And as we look through this, we can learn more of how we can be content in our daily lives and in what God has planned for us. So I think probably 10 minutes to read that and to discuss that in your groups, and then we'll come back together. Paul unpacks some of the amazing benefits of being a Christian. He says that we are justified through our faith. That means that we're put right with God 
through trusting in the death of Jesus. So we, like Abraham, are justified because of what Jesus has done. Um, Next one. That's it. Thank you. We're justified. Not only are we justified, but we also have peace with God. How amazing is that? We used to be at war with God. When we were sinners, Christ died for us, and he enabled us to be friends with God. But we used to be at war. There was a battle going on, a heavenly battle between ourselves and our heavenly father when we were choosing to disregard him. But now we have peace with God. The war is over. Our battle of rebellion against him is finished because Jesus has won that victory. And that peace means that we can have access to God. There's no truce. There's no stalemate. It's not a period of holding. The war is completely over and we are totally at peace with God because of Jesus. And we can now stand in the grace of God under his favour, his kindness, his generosity to us, his great and amazing free gift, which is completely undeserved by each of us. So because of our faith, we are justified and we have that peace with God. And because of that, we should be living our lives in a different way, full of thankfulness and joy. And why? What should we be rejoicing in? Well, not just the uh, justification that we have and the peace that we have, but also because of what we're looking forward to. And as Paul says, we're looking forward to the hope of glory. That's the time when we will be alive with God, with our Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. That is our hope of glory. And that should change the whole way that we live and think here on earth. It should change completely our attitudes. Because we know that one day, even after we've had to live a bit of a difficult life, perhaps at times, but one day we will be somewhere better. We will be with the Lord in glory and we can be joyful and rejoice in that, even during our sufferings. Because one day we know we will be in a place where there is no death, no sickness, no pain, no hardship, nothing but perfect blessing from our Heavenly Father. Now that doesn't mean to say that we've got to rejoice in a really sort of masochistic way. Look how much I'm suffering, yet rejoicing in it. Nor does it mean that we should worry if we're not suffering. Because I have heard Christians say, but I, I have an easy life. Maybe I'm not enough of a Christian that God hasn't asked me to suffer. Well, I just think that's an amazing blessing and get on with it and enjoy it. But, you know, we can rejoice because of what we're looking forward to. It might be hard to rejoice at the time, but when we think of what's coming, even in the depths of our suffering, we can rejoice. When my husband died, we had a Thanksgiving service for him. And 
so many people said afterwards, I have never been to a service for a funeral where there was so much laughter and jokes and fun and singing and just joy. And they couldn't understand it. The non-Christians had no idea where we were coming from, that we weren't all wearing black and miserable. Because we knew that Mark was in a better place. And I knew that one day I'd be there with him. So actually, it doesn't matter. Look forward to eternity. Okay, what then does Paul say? He says that when we suffer, we learn to persevere. Now, I don't know how many of you go running. I clearly don't. Okay, but I do know people that run. And when they first start to run, they tell me of the awful pain that they go through and the stitches that they get and the the knees and the ankle problems and all the rest of it. And I just think, yeah, stay on the sofa. Um, However, I gather that if you persevere, you get better at it. That eventually you can go at more than a fast walk. You might develop as far as a jog and you never know. One day you'll be doing the KL Marathon. Okay, but if we suffer, if we put up with those stitches in our sides and the aches in our knees and just keep going, people say keep running through the pain. I've heard that expression. If you keep doing that, you will get stronger and then the next day you'll be able to run that little bit further and it won't hurt so much and so on. And eventually there you are winning an Olympic gold. But when we suffer as Christians in a same way, just a very similar small way, we learn to persevere. We are content in a small circumstance and that can give us confidence that God will give us the strength for the next thing, which might be smaller, it might be bigger. But it's learning, it's uh, persevering, keeping going through those times, we will get stronger and it's our faith that gets stronger because it's not us that's come through those times, it's God working in us. So we should never come through these tough times going, yay, I've done it all. Because actually, it's God. God who gives us the strength day by day. And when we persevere, we strengthen our character. We strengthen our frame of mind to remember that it's God. It's always God, always God. And it's him that's helping us. And it helps us trust him more and more. The more we remember him, the more we think of him, the more we are thankful to him for what he's already done, the more we will trust him. And then as we trust him, that leads to hope. Total and utter confidence in God. Totally sure in the knowledge that we are secure in God because God has promised that one day we'll be with him forever. And we know like Abraham, that God always keeps his promises. And all of this is possible because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Well, maybe you're still thinking, is it really possible? Well, Paul wrote these really well-known ver- this really well-known verse in Romans chapter 8. In all things... God works for the good of those who love him. And I'm sure that's a very precious verse to many of you. But my question is, in all things, 
can we really honestly say in all things, the good times, the bad times, does God work for the good of those who love him? In the good times and the bad times? Yes, Paul knew that. We saw that earlier from Philippians. In the good times and the bad times? Yes, I know that. I've seen that in my own life. In the good times and the bad times, I hope that you can say yes or that you will be able to say yes in the future as you think a bit more about this. We may groan for a little while, as Paul says earlier in that chapter, as we wait for Jesus to come back. We may groan whilst we suffer, even whilst there are tough times. But we know that nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are totally and utterly secure in him. And if we trust God, he guides us daily, day by day, and he has provided for our eternity. So the question of how can we learn to be content with what God has prepared for us, what God has planned for us, how can we be content in our lives? It's not just this life, it's our eternal life. And if we think of it in that context, if we're looking forward to our eternal life, then yes, we can be very content knowing what God has planned. One day we will be with him in glory. So, I owe you. If only you could be content with what God has planned for your life. True contentment comes from being secure in the knowledge that God has planned and provided for us from before we were born to the end of our days here on this life and in fact for eternity. Remember what the world said about contentment? It said it was about being happy and satisfied. But biblical contentment is totally different. We've seen that true contentment comes from knowing that we are significant to God. He made us and he loves us. He cares for us and he has rescued us from all of our sins. We can learn to be satisfied with the lives that God has given us, knowing that we are secure in him for all eternity. So contentment is possible. I believe that. I trust that. In fact, it's not only possible, but it's also a requirement for those that call themselves Christians. There is nothing that does so as much damage uh, to the world around as they see discontented Christians, when they see people who claim to have great hope and great faith in an amazing God and yet are constantly complaining. So to obey and to glorify God, we must learn to develop contentment in our lives in each and every situation. 
Well, I'm going to pray about that now. So let's just sit and pray together. Heavenly Father, gracious God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for what we have learnt from your word about you and about your purpose for us and for our lives. We thank you that we are significant to you, that you chose us and made us before we were even contemplated by our parents. We thank you that you know all about us and you say that we are good. Please help us remember that when faced by what the world says. We thank you that we can be satisfied in the lives that you have given us. We thank you that we can learn to be content in each and every situation because you will give us the strength to do that. And we thank you that you have provided all that we need for this life, but not just this life, but for eternity. And we praise you for that great hope that we have of being in that perfect place where we will be content forever with you and our Lord Jesus Christ. So thank you for your great love and care for us. Thank you for that amazing love. Amen. Well, practically, what are we going to do from here? Because I think we'll all still need lots of encouragement. It's all very well to come here on a Saturday morning, and it all seems good and helpful, but what about Sunday? That might be okay, because you'll be here at church, hopefully, surrounded by your Christian sisters. But what about Monday? and Tuesday, and next week. We will all need encouragement, reminders, motivation to keep going in this, and possibly people to be accountable to. So one really good way to do that is to meet regularly with other Christian women. Because let's face it, we all struggle with this and many other issues. So if we were accountable to somebody or to a small group, then it's okay for you to ask each other, how are you doing? How's the complaining going? How's the moaning going? How's your Bible reading going? Questions that perhaps other people don't ask, but with just two or three, you could be really challenged in that. So I've got some suggestions for encouragement. Uh, We might have to whiz through a few. Um, So church services, obviously. Come on Sundays, get to know the other women in the congregations, make a point of seeking out somebody that you don't know yet, find out who they are and encourage them. If you think how much you grow, how much you shine when somebody says something lovely to you and encourages you, think how much you could do that for other people and how, what a great benefit it would be to them. So come to church, come and encourage each other. What about joining a Bible study group? I know here at the cathedral there are various Bible study groups because I've been to two of them over the last couple of weeks and they've been really thrilling to join with some of you Christian ladies and study God's word together. Judy, do you want to say a bit more about those? No, if you do want to know more about them, speak to Judy later on. I know they meet on different days and at different times. 
but they're a great way of coming together and learning from God's word and then praying for each other in your difficulties or your joys and encouraging each other. But maybe a Bible study group with five or six or ten people is still too big a group. Maybe that's still too scary. Well, in England, we have what we call prayer triplets or prayer squares, where you meet with two or three other ladies. And you can meet as often as you want. Some meet at breakfast, some in the evenings, just whatever you want, do whatever you want. But it's a time to be accountable, a time to really find out what's going on in people's lives and to pray, to really pray for them, to pray for the hard times, to pray for encouragement, to pray for reminders of God's word and the promises that he gives us that will help. And it's great to be accountable to those people. Or maybe even that's too big a group. What about meeting with just one other person? There's um, a passage in your booklets at the bottom of page nine. It's from Titus. And I'm just, I'll read it out to you. It says, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. I think meeting with an older Christian, that doesn't necessarily mean an older lady in age, but just somebody who's been a Christian for longer than you, someone who's got that little bit more wisdom, is an incredibly encouraging thing to do. Somebody who can lead you and guide you so that you will not malign the word of God, so that your lifestyle, your thoughts and actions become gradually more and more Christ-like, so that you are not out there in the world joining in with everything that your peers are doing, saying that you believe one thing and living another. And I know that that goes on because I've seen, I can't remember your name, Chung Peng. I know she meets with younger Christians. She does that already. And there are probably others of you that do that. But it is a fantastic thing to meet with an older and wiser Christian lady for encouragement and support. So I would really commend those things to you. If you're not doing any of them, please do one of them. Please, as, you know, as you leave today, decide I'm really going to do this. I'd like to, to do one of those things and speak to Judy. Um, if you're already doing some of them, perhaps think of another way that you could help perhaps younger Christians, how you could be available and serve God in a different way. Then there's also some resources. You've got lists and lists of resources listed at the back of your book. Um, one of the things is a list of Bible passages, which I thought might be helpful, if not for you, but occasionally when people say, I feel really discouraged, or I just have no peace in my life, or what does Jesus say about prayer? How should we pray? Then there's a list of passages there on page 14 which it just might be useful to keep in the front of your Bibles or something so that you can help others if they have issues. And then there are some great books around on contentment. 
they're listed at the back of the booklet, but the one I really want to encourage you to get is this one. Apparently they're on order because I'd asked for them before I came, but they haven't arrived yet. But they will be here this week and you have to ask Jessica in the, in the bookshop for them. But it's called Compared to Her. And it's all about, it's specifically written for women. It's all about how we all spend our lives comparing and complaining. And it teaches how we can be content with God. Now, I have used one or two of the illustrations from here, but mostly it will be new material and it is really worth a read. It's very short. It's very easy. And every time I read it, I go, "Uh uh-oh. Yeah. There are really good lessons in here to be learned. So do order one of those from Jessica when you go. And then there's some online resources as well. There's a really good set of Bible studies. It lasts about um, uh, three weeks called Demolishing Discontentment. And you can download it from the Good Book Shop. Uh, from, yes, from the Good Book Company. Um, actually, that's a British address, but I'm sure if you Google it's on the good book website you will find it from whatever um, but those are just really helpful bible studies to do by yourselves at home or in your small group to really look again at these issues because obviously in a short morning there is so much more that could have been said